When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I used to love feeling scared, but after what I've seen, I'm just permanently numb. My friends and I often played a self-scaring game where we visit purportedly haunted locations at night, take pictures, move around in the dark, and try to embrace fear as deeply as possible. It was our way of getting an adrenaline rush. Some people went skydiving, some people raced cars, but we purposely scared the hell out of ourselves. Gabby was the biggest fear junkie out of all of us. She was the one most interested in taking photographs, too, as if she was intent on proving the supernatural actually existed. I didn't have the heart to tell her that I didn't actually think there was anything out there. We'd been to century-old hospitals where tuberculosis patients had died en masse. We'd stayed the night in horrible prisons with the lights off. We'd even gone up to a spot in the woods where it was rumored a mass murder had taken place in the 1800s. Through all of that, we'd never once seen anything out of the ordinary. It always been fun, though, so when the dealer at a college party offered something new, I immediately thought of Gabby. She scoffed when I showed her the little circular dark blue pills. Remy? What the hell is Remy? Is that like Molly? <laughs> no, I said, looking around at the party to make sure nobody was watching us. It's new. My guy says it puts you in a rim dream state while still awake. That's why it's called Remy. Her weariness faded as she realized the implications. Is it safe? I grinned. I knew I had her interest. <laughs> it's as safe as dreaming. She grabbed our friend Kurt and we were out the door without even saying goodbye to anyone else at the party. Practically salivating over the prospect of this new adventure, she rhetorically asked, What's the scariest possible place around here? Kurt, the most reluctant of our trio, shook his head. If we're really doing this roomy stuff, can we first try it somewhere normal? I don't want to freak out and get hurt or trapped or something. I nodded diplomatically. Gabby sighed. <sighs> Fine. She looked up and down the orange-lit street, taking stock of the random-scattered college kids on their way to and fro in the chilly night. How about here? Here? Kurt asked. Like, in public? I didn't see anybody acting crazy. Before we could all agree, she took one of the several I'd given her and downed it. Here goes nothing. Shrugging at Kurt, I took one, and he joined in with trepidation. Nothing happened at first, and of course, I'd forgotten to ask how long it would take to kick in. Should we walk? Let's go get sodas at the get-go, Gabby suggested. Something about her sentence felt a little odd. Was it already starting to have an effect? 
I walked alongside my two friends, studying the orange street lamps overhead and passerby in the distance. That was the curious things about dreams. You can never quite tell when they began. You are simply and suddenly there. Psst. I turned around and saw a thin blonde girl standing in a nearby yard. She weighed me over. Hey! What's up? I asked. Behind me, Kurt and Gabby turned to look at her too. The more I looked at her, the more details seemed to become clear. Gray bottoms, a sweatshirt, a gaunt face. Wait. What? She shivered despite her warm clothes and asked, You got anything I can eat? Anything at all? I looked at Kurt who shrugged and threw her an Altoid from his pocket. She caught it, gulped it down without chewing, sighed happily, and vanished. I'm pretty sure all three of us screamed at the same time, more out of shock than fear. That triple scream seemingly became laughter as we realized that Remy was working. We'd all just dreamed a girl standing in a yard. Kurt's Altoid sat in the grass, a tiny white speck in dark, glimmering emerald. But I was still awake, and smart enough to realize that we'd all seen the same thing. Did this drug also cause people to share the same waking dream? Or were we creating some false participatory memory? It was impossible to know, and our analytical abilities were deteriorating as the stoops and ramshackle undergraduate houses took on surreal qualities. Waking dreaming was in its own class of crazy. With far more awareness than usual, I was able to see how my stream of consciousness constantly shaped and remolded everything around me. A house ahead of me grew taller, reminding me vaguely of an ancient Greek temple. It morphed into a weathered ancient Greek temple, reminding me of the history and old things. It became a ruin, and then a house for medieval peasants, and then a booth from the Renaissance Fair. Only once I drew close enough to really focus did it stop changing and return to normal. Dreams operated at the edge of consciousness, and direct concentration could dispel them. This is just cool, not scary, Gabby said, looking around with wonder. Her smile turned into an evil grin. So far, she began walking faster. We kept up with her and Kurt asked, Where are we going? There's an abandoned house two blocks over. Let's break in and see how scared we can get. That definitely sounded like a plan. Traversing a maze-like landscape of sidewalks, asphalts, cars, and houses that kept constantly changing in shape, meaning, and scope, we nevertheless made a decent progress straight forward to our destination. We were still awake, after all, and there was always a long, narrow tube of reality wherever I decided to focus my eyes and awareness. We kept lookout while Gabby bashed in a low rectangular basement window with a rock. We carefully slipped down in one by one. It was only after I stood and looked around that dark, musty basement by dull, indirect orange light that I realized I hadn't thought to look at the house's exterior. I'd been too caught up in the shifting dreamscape to get a sense of what kind of building we were climbing into. The basement itself didn't look too strange. The gray dirt floor ran uniformly around the cramped space, and we investigated nooks and crannies among the stone foundation for a time by the light of our phones. 
Look, Gabby said. I followed her pointing finger to a skull, partially buried in the gray dirt. Kurt laughed and poked it. (laughs) It looks so real. Under our collective gazes, it turned into a half-buried teapot. Aw. Gabby looked positively hungry for more. Let's go upstairs. The creaking wood under our feet was oddly dark, and I put my phone light close, trying to figure out why, but the shades and animation style of the steps kept changing, as if I was watching a movie, and then a cartoon, and then a sketch, and then a comic. I fought down a wave of nausea and looked away, hoping that this trip wasn't about to turn bad. I froze at the top of the steps. Oh, sorry. Four people stood within. A woman at the sink, a man at the fridge, and two kids sitting at the kitchen table. They all stood up unmoving and stared at the three of us blankly, likely too shocked to react. Kurt held up his hands. Oh my god, wrong house! Gabby stood between us, also wearily still. I expected for the father to call the cops, or the kids to scream, or the mother to angrily shoo us out of the house, but none of them moved. As always, Gabby was the first to suspect that something was wrong. She stepped to the side at first just once, but then twice, and a third time. The family of four turned their heads and gazes to follow her, but none of them spoke a word, or otherwise moved. What the hell is this? Kurt asked, grabbing my upper arm tightly. The mother turned her gaze on him, her expression still blank. Don't swear. I whispered to him, keeping my eyes on the family while I slowly followed Gabby. There are children present. I didn't care where we were going, only that we were going somewhere else. As such, we were halfway up the next oddly darkened steps before I realized we were not heading for some sort of split-level exit. I hissed. Gabby, we can't go upstairs. The people here... She turned and looked back at me. Are what? She whispered. This place burned down two months ago. I kept looking at her, but my thoughts went to the dark stairs and walls. They were blackened. I now understood, because they were charred. And the family in the kitchen, Kurt's grip on my arm became painful. What the hell's going on? Why am I dreaming of a family that died here? He looked up at both of us fiercely. I didn't know about any dead family beforehand. It's the dream state, Gabby said with visible excitement. We must be seeing things outside of normal perception. She turned and made a move down the second floor hallway. I caught her arm and, for a moment, all of us were physically connected. Gab, if that's true, it's time to go home. Study this until we know more. Are you kidding? She pulled away, breaking contact. What if this is a one-time deal, an accident of timing and biology? These are the big leagues. This is what we've always looked for. She darted off, disappearing into the shifting darkness and shade of surreal second-floor hallway. Kurt let go, too, fleeing in the other direction, back down the stairs. I can't. I'm sorry, I just... I, I can't. Torn and suddenly alone, I watched Kurt swing around the charred banister pole at the bottom of the stairs and run out of sight. 
and then I turned to face the shifting and uncertain hallway. I had to believe Kurt would be alright since he was heading for the front door. Gabby, on the other hand, was heading deeper into a place where the living very much did not belong. I stepped forward into a swaying sense of subtle dizziness that hung about the second floor proper, and it took a few moments before the slow back and forth and eerie creaking made sense. A boat. It felt like I was on the narrow hold of a boat. But on what ocean were we drifting? The phone in my hand had become a small torch burning with a dim white flame, and I held it before me as I cautiously opened the first door. It creaked horribly and then splintered away, too charred to function. A low rumble echoed through the hallway and I slipped within the burnt room, feeling like I just barely avoided some sort of gaze or awareness coming from around a distant corner. I leaned back against the wall, breathing hard, but quietly telling myself that it was just a dream, and one that I'd had often for that matter. Throughout much of my life, in dreams, I'd fled to that unhallowed awareness just around the corner, always diving for safety just before it learned of my existence, but now, now it was here. My breathing stilled as I finally cast my sight around the room. Dolls. God, why dolls? A good forty-odd eerie little dolls with charred faces sat littered about the faded pink room in various pieces. Their eyes fixated on me from every angle. I stared, my pulse growing to a roar in my head until I was finally forced to breathe again, but they all seemed too damaged by the fire to move. And then beyond them, a soot-stained window that showed out only onto dark emerald fog. The subtle motion of our surreal ship became prominent in my limbs again, and I inched my way around the room to stare out through these darkened panes. Limitless black waters rolled just below at about the height of the floor ceiling, so it was just the second floor and above that were partially in another world, then I ducked down behind the bed, hiding among the glaring broken dolls as the awareness in the hallway brushed past. It paused on the broken door and perhaps even gazed in with some monstrous eye, but I dared not look. Satisfied that the room was empty, whatever it was out there finally moved on. I gave it a good long minute before I climbed back out onto my feet and crept out into the hallway. Where had it gone? The way back, the stairs down were gone, replaced by a window on a green fog and dark waters. No matter. Gabby was the other direction, and I knew her well enough to skip the rest of the doors on the second floor. She'd be heading straight for the attic. It was about that moment, staring at the slightly open door to another set of upward stairs, that I began feeling more clear-headed. Looking back, I saw two images, one fading and one growing stronger. The horrible, otherworldly hold I'd crept down a gaping, burnt shell of a house with no solid second floor to speak of. I stood on an overhanging ledge of charred wood, which was physically unreachable from the stairs in the distance. Implicitly, I understood in that moment that I was not just dreaming. The dream state had actually let us tread into something deeper, some dark blister on reality that had bubbled and festered into its own little nightmare. 
and in the real world, the attic door was closed and locked. God damn it, Gabby, I muttered. Not that there was a choice, considering that I had no normal way down from my high and unstable location. I took another of the little circular dark pills from my pocket and swallowed it. I waited, breathless. The swaying and creaking returned rather quickly, and I began to lose sight of the reel. Near my hand, the attic door was both closed and open, both closed and open, both closed and open, and then... It just opened. Set loose like a runner at the start line, I pulled it the rest of the way and sprinted up the steps, scared by how long I'd let Gabby on her own. My white torch snuffed out as I moved straight into a horizontal ceiling of absolute darkness that hovered level at the top of the attic stairs. I crouched to avoid nails that might be sticking down from the roof. The expansive space ran cool with drafts from the ocean air outside, and I used those drafts to inch along through the void. I felt melted plastic, soot, and charred wood with my fingers as I moved. This was still the burned-out attic, so why was it so impossibly dark? Gabby's whisper came from somewhere out in the abyss. He's here. I found her. Mostly. Who? I whispered back. The older brother who set the fire. I froze in the dark, taking in her meaning. Was he... She shrieked suddenly, and then I heard wood crack and motion erupt from somewhere ahead and to my right. Crawling forward and grimacing for fear of nails, I sought out noises of struggle and managed to gasp her flailing hand. She knew it was me immediately, and pulled hard to escape something and crawl past me. I was too slow. Painfully hot fingers that held the texture of overcooked hot dogs gripped my ankle, and my kicks did no damage to whatever my shoes were striking. A horrific stench hit my nose, barely perceiving a charred corpse climbing on top of me. Grappling with the nightmarish arsonist, I fought with a dream-like strength, that is to say, none, for every hit felt like I was doing nothing at all. My efforts to fight held no impact. The idea came to me in a flash out of my own fears. Instead of fighting off the unseen horror, I gripped his front and side instead of as fast as I could. He groaned and gurgled and convulsed, and foul-smelling goo hit me in the face from above. I didn't need to see him to know what I'd done. Letting go, I moved away, free to leave now that he was pinned to the roof by dozens of jutting nails that had to be several inches long each. Don't, he choked out, audibly distraught. Don't leave me here. Don't let it have me. Forgive me. Let me go. We're almost there. Please. You have no idea. I ignored him. Gabby found my hand in the dark and we crawled our way to some sort of exit, but it was not the stairs back down. We emerged through a small hatch onto the deck of the nightmare ship proper. Here the green fog was thickest, lit only by a spectral glow from an unseen moon. Above us, a wooden platform rose to a crest, and on that platform, a figure in silhouette stood at the wheel. That silhouette's head and shoulders shifted as it slowly turned to look at us, and I found myself unable to move at all, no matter how hard I tried. 
The effort only produced a subtle dark blue static along the outlines of my limbs. We remained on our hands and knees. Two dark red points like zero-dimensional rubies with endless depth studied us for a moment. Were we going to die? Was it going to kill us? Who or what was it? We'd crawled through a dead family's unending nightmare and a child arsonist's private hell to find... What? The ruby eyes shifted away, facing ahead again, and I was suddenly able to move. They began to point straight ahead at some distant approaching destination. The emerald fog around us rolled in a new breeze and I began to slide away. I pulled Gabby back toward the hatch, but she resisted, her eyes gleamed by spectral moonlight. Don't do it, I whispered, but she crawled out of my immediate grasp as I remained at the hatch back to the real world. She pulled out the handful of dark pills I'd given her and downed them all in one determined gulp. I have to know. I screamed at her, but she clambered to her feet and began to ascend the lay of the ship toward that figure. I thought to go after her, still, even then, but I felt it coming over the waves. That awareness larger and closer than ever, no longer just the stalking shadow of itself, but real, present, and growing nearer. Every almost encounter with it I'd ever had in dreams had been nothing but avoiding the smallest sliver of that ultimate terror which lay ahead on this dark ocean. I knew then that if I'd ever failed to avoid it, knowing of me, I knew then that if I had ever failed to avoid it, knowing of me, that if I'd ever gone around those dreamscape corners just a little bit slower and gotten seen in the utmost indescribable scene, I would have died in my sleep. Or worse. Crying. I was crying. I could actually see a shadow of the future in my mind, generated by my dream state. I could crawl back into that hatch and let Gabby find what she's been seeking ever since her parents had died, and nobody in my world would ever see her again. I would live the rest of my life wondering if she was suffering. An unimaginable fate, all alone, and God knew wherever this was. It was coming up over the waves. Seconds, heartbeats, we had mere moments. Screaming silently in my head, I abandoned my grip on that hatch, and I ran to the charred wood of that ghastly ship and tackled her. She struggled a bit and clawed at me, but I dragged her away. There was no time for going back the way we'd come. A rising scream that shook the world reached a crescendo as the ship tilted up along a massive wave, preceding the unknowable beast. The waters were dark enough to hide us from its sight, and that would have to be enough. With an instinctual prayer expressed by a leap of my heart in my chest, I pulled her over to the side with me, and we plunged down into the icy pitch and threw it down onto hard, autumn-chilled grass where her legs snapped like a twig and my arm shattered in four places. Of course, we could never truly explain to anyone why we jumped from the roof of that burnt-out house. Kurt swore that his pills had worn off by the time he saw us fall out of thin air. I did my best to convince him it was the last effect of his dream state. My pills I ground up underneath my shoe while painfully waiting for the ambulance to arrive. 
I sat by her side in the hospital at least as much as they let me. With no parents and no family, I was her emergency contact, and the confused doctor explained that he honestly had no idea what was wrong with her. She was unresponsive and wouldn't wake up, but unlike a coma patient, her brain activity was constantly very high. Coma patients never experienced REM sleep, almost by definition, but she was always in it and exhibiting signs of extreme stress besides. He'd never seen anything like it. But I knew what it was. I'd only saved her body. She'd overdose on dreams and fear and the rest of her was still there in that nightmare layer of reality. What she might have found, I'll never know, but I no longer enjoy fear. I've seen where it comes from. Nearly touched its source directly. Nearly had it become aware of me personally in return. And I have absolutely no desire to go back there before I see death a second time and he drags me kicking and screaming into his inescapable maw. I found a book that erases unwanted memories. I happened upon the book at a kiosk in my town's annual witchcraft festival. The seller, a young, red-haired woman, told me it was known as the Book of Memories. If you wrote down a recollection on one of its many blank pages and closed the book shut, it would vanish from your memories forever. Or those of others. Only fourteen ninety-nine. So it's a strange way to sell a diary, I thought, but the cover was remarkable. Pitch black with an embossed rune I'd never seen before. Despite the bogus backstory, I was intrigued, transfixed by its design. Even if I never put it to use, it would fit nicely with my ever-growing collection of odd supernatural relics, most of which were just strange craft items from Etsy. Even if I never put it to use, it would fit nicely with my ever-growing collection of odd supernatural relics, most of which were just strange craft items from Etsy. Just as I was about to hand over my debit card, the woman spoke. It can be yours for free, depending on your answer to this question. Do you have a troubled past? I looked at her utterly confused. Uh, yeah, but who doesn't? She made eye contact for an uncomfortable period of time and then smiled, handing me the book. Her behavior was very strange, but I was more than happy to not spend any money. As such, I thanked her and went about my day. Upon coming home that night and venturing up to my bedroom, I threw the book beside my pillow and grabbed a head of lettuce from the mini-fridge to feed my pet tortoise, Harold. He was off in his corner, chewing up one of my stuffed animals, as he so often did when famished. I pulled the plush aside and broke off some greenery to placate his hunger. He was pleased. I sat on the bed and picked up my new collectible. I thought for a moment about the seller's words and decided to prove her wrong, at least to myself, if for no other reason than to have a good laugh at her expense. I grabbed the nearest pen and jotted down Harold's name in one of its many folds. I then shut the book and waited. I looked over at Harold, eating his lettuce. 
I was not startled by his presence, knowing exactly who he was and remembering every facet of his life. My parents gifted me him as a youngling before their untimely passing. I was very close with them, so the time immediately following their funeral was truly trying. Harold was there for me. I fell in love with that stupid green face of his. He kept me company when I was at my worst and provided a shell for me to cry on. You could say that he saved me, in a way. A torch that guided me through dark times. But Harold was no youngling anymore. His surface area took up a decent portion of floor space, similar in size to a large tire. I watched as a bit of lettuce fell from his mouth and then chuckled. (laughs) Cute, silly hair. In saying this, something happened. I choked on my words. I still knew my pet tortoise, but could not for the life of me think of his name. I panicked, but looked over at the herb garden on the windowsill, a place for his treats to grow in the sun. Above it was a sign I'd made. Harold's Garden. The name was completely new to me. I had no memory of ever having come up with it. The book didn't delete him from my memory, only his name. But it actually worked. Was the woman at the festival a real witch? This was a shocking revelation. I now had the power to erase any of my memories with the flick of a pen. Or those of others. I remembered the woman's words. She specifically said I could erase my memories or those of others. But how can I do the latter? I scoured the book for clues and came across a page at its end with a different format than the blank ones. It said, Person, Memory. I thought for a moment. Excited, an idea came to mind that I quickly acted on. After turning on my TV and flipping over to the news channel, I put my theory to the test. In the top box, I wrote the anchor's name. In the bottom, the memory of how to speak. It was cruel, but I desperately needed to know and half expected it wouldn't work. Upon closing the book and opening it again, the ink vanished. I patiently waited for a result. In a matter of moments, the anchor stopped talking and bore a look of intense confusion. He continued to open his mouth, but no words came out. Eventually, the footage was cut short due to, quote, technical difficulties. It actually fucking worked. This was my chance. I can now do what I had always dreamed of doing, and I wasn't going to wait another second to put my plan into motion. The door to his house was locked, but it was easy enough to bust open. There he was, a pitiful excuse for a man relaxing in front of the TV as if he had the right to do so. Surprised by my arrival, he questioned me. Who are you? He stood up and began walking to my position. I was prepared for this, having already written in the book. After shutting it, his legs gave out as he completely forgot how to walk. He now had the motor skills of a toddler and was helpless to my attack. He cried out, but this was futile. Another quick bend of the book's binding kept him from ever speaking again. Now he could only listen. How's it feel, Robert? Being so helpless and fearing what might come next. 
he looked up at me. The face of a scared boy painted on an old man. Good. That's how my parents felt when you crashed into their car and drove away. The highway was empty that night. You were the only one who could help. If you had just called someone, they might have lived. I never even had a chance to say goodbye. He tried swinging at me with his arms, but another scribbling in the book put a stop to that. You didn't deserve to get away with it. There wasn't enough evidence in my favor, but I knew it was you. I was there. I saw your face when you walked up to the wreckage. I screamed out for you to help us, but you drove away. A frightened child in a man's body. You probably didn't expect I would survive. His mingled form shook in an attempt to move with what little memory of his action he had left. It was no use. Now, you will suffer, just as I have over the years, forced to live without them. Goodbye, Robert. You won't be missed. With one final closing of the magical tome, I erased his ability to breathe. I then left, satisfied with the mission accomplished. I'd already collected the names of his neighbors, so it was easy enough to erase any memory of me ever being in the area. I was sure I wouldn't be caught. After all was said and done, I smiled, genuinely, for the first time in years. There was only one thing left to do. I drove through the local cemetery, strolled through the headstones, and stopped at my parents' graves. I sat there for a good while, not yet ready to say goodbye. Mom? Dad? I did it. I took care of him, just like I always said I would. A steady stream of tears trickled down my cheeks. It's over now. You can finally rest. I opened the book one last time. I was going to erase them from my memory once and for all. It was the only way I could ever truly be at peace. I miss you terribly. Things have been pretty dicey here without you, but Harold and I have been getting by the best that we can. If I could change this, I would take your place in a heartbeat, but I can't. And that's why I have to do this. The pain is too much to bear. There was now a flood of tears wetting my face. I never had the chance to say it before, so I will now. Goodbye. I love you both so much. Before I could jot down the appropriate words, a cross-section of space opened in front of me, an oval-shaped portal of swirling energy from which a woman stepped out. The vortex vanished and she pried the book from my hands, knocking me back in the process. It was the seller from the kiosk at the festival. The one who gave me the book. She opened it up and stroked the pages in a meditative trance, all the while licking her lips. With a look of pure satisfaction, she opened her eyes and turned at me, frozen in fear on the ground. With every memory I acquire, my demons feed from the darkness within. The sadness and spite with which you acted. The vengeance. These will do nicely. She took a single step into my direction. My heart pounded. Who would have thought 
a witch living among mortals. I was lucky to sense your presence and act when I did. My darlings and I were starving. I digested her initial statement and bore a look of shock. A witch? You... you think I'm a witch? She cackled. (laughs) Of course you are, child. You would not have been able to use the book otherwise. Did your parents never tell you? I slowly shook my head, still fearful. Stranger still. It's unfortunate you'll never be able to explore your latent abilities. In order to capture the memories you've collected, I must seal them with your blood. We locked eyes. She pondered for a brief moment before speaking again. But first, let's see what other repressions we can dredge to the surface. With great precision, her hands moved in a circular motion, a fantastic glow pouring from her fingertips. She drew an intricate design in the air, the same one from the book's cover. She finished by flicking it over to me. I tried to run, but the rune flew at a velocity my legs couldn't hope to match. Its glow enveloped me. I could no longer see anything else. And then it dissipated, revealing my new surroundings. The woman had inflicted me with a visual illusion. At the time, it felt too real. My parents. They were alive. We were sitting at the dinner table in my childhood home. The food was delicious. The company, even better. We talked and ate for a long while, for a time frame that could have never been long enough. I was happy. But then... The thread was pulled, undoing the charade. The expressions on my parents' faces changed abruptly from smiling to stoic. They stared directly at me, piercing my soul with empty eyes. My father spoke first. Why did you live? My heart fell back in my chest. I couldn't respond. My mother chimed in and broke the silence. Why didn't you save us? Before I could even hope to form a reply, they stood up from the table and walked around to my sides. And then they lunged at me, to which I winced and took cover beneath the haphazard safety of my own arms. There was no attack. I unraveled myself and was greeted by a new environment. I was back at the cemetery, but not in my own time. It was another memory, one... I would have sooner died before reliving. The funeral was just as I remembered. In the particular portion I was exploring, I had asked the guests and other associated parties to leave. I wanted some alone time with my parents. Standing between the caskets, the sentiments I had rehearsed to myself earlier in the day escaped me, leaving me only with tears that quickly formed a puddle on the ground below. I couldn't bear their sight any longer. The mortician did a wonderful job of hiding the wounds, but no amount of makeup could hide the feeling that resonated from their corpses. I stepped away to gather the other guests, ready to lower my family into the earth. This is when the memory diverted its course. Hearing a rustling behind me, I turned back to the coffins on display at the edge of the cemetery. The guests had magically returned and were now standing as still as ever, staring me down with sullen faces. 
My parents had risen from their caskets and were standing at the front of the crowd with blackened eyes. They all moved toward me. I tried to escape, but they were always there. No matter where I pointed myself to run, they quickly surrounded me and closed in. I screamed. The scene melted away and I was back in my own time, standing opposite the mysterious woman. Perfect. That fear and anguish you feel has such a wonderful taste. My darlings and I will feast for a whole year. She licked her lips some more. Now the fun part. It's time to steal your memories away forever. You must perish. A wicked smile danced across her face. I trembled as she reached her arms out to attack. That's when the most peculiar thing happened. Another tear in space opened directly in front of me. Harold trotted out from the void. He extended his neck and opened his mouth, out from which a green blast was expelled. The woman barely had time to dodge the blow, her smile now replaced with a look of surprise. Do you have a familiar? She adjusted herself and sent a glowing black bolt of lightning at Harold. He retracted into his shell and spun in place on the ground, deflecting the attack. He came back out and immediately craned his neck back to see me. I can't explain it, but I swear he was making sure I was okay. It was this feeling that washed over me. In that moment, I felt safe for the first time since my parents died, protected by a warm, loving energy. Harold turned his face back to the sorceress. He awkwardly galloped to her. From his mouth, he shot an expansive blast of green light, filling my entire field of view. I didn't cover my eyes in reaction to its brightness. It was somehow soothing to look at. I was captivated by its glow. When it made contact, it shrunk to outline the woman's form. Her shape writhed within before the light finally faded, revealing only a skeletal structure that left disintegrated ash and fell to the earth below. I directed my attention to Harold. He was back in his shell. Was he okay? Did he exert too much energy? I rushed over, panicked. I'd never seen him so still, even when he slept. I didn't know what else to do, so I just laid my head on him a while while tears rolled down his sides. Please, Harold, don't disappear like Mom and Dad did. You're all I have left. I still need you. There was no movement. I can't do this without you. You can't leave, okay? Do you hear me in there? Come back. Harold's limbs and head slowly slid out of the crevices of his shell. He nuzzled up to me with that little strength that he had, clearly exhausted. I let out a shriek of joy and hugged that stupid green face of his. The nightmare was over. We could finally go home and rest. I'm not sure if the book survived the blast, but that doesn't matter to me anymore. The whole ordeal taught me never to be tempted by the forces of dark magic ever again. I felt it swimming in my veins, flourishing throughout my entire body. I became powerless to its control. I never want to feel that again. As far as I'm concerned, the book can rot in the cemetery with the woman's remains. 
Despite my age, I'm still a child with many faults to be learned from, but now I have something looking out for me. My parents saw to it that I would always be taken care of, no matter what happened to them. Harold is my familiar, but more than that, he's my closest friend. Whatever the world has in store for us, he'll be by my side, and that thought comforts me. I'll never have to feel alone ever again.